If you are in the Northern Hemisphere, then your garden is firmly planted in fall. But even though the prime gardening season is over, that doesn't mean that there aren't still some things you can do in the garden, some things you can plant, and some ways you can eke out the last bit of the season. So let's jump into our episode today of what to do in your October garden. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Organic Gardening for Beginners. I am your host, Jessica, from the blog Homegrown Food and Flowers, and this is the show to help new and beginner gardeners get started without the overwhelm so they can grow as much as possible in their garden throughout the year. As mentioned today, we are diving into what to do in your October garden because by golly, the year is just marching on and it's October. It is my birthday month, which is always exciting. I'll be hitting 39 this year, the last before the big 40. So yay, (laughs) we can celebrate together. All right. So there's still lots to do in October, even though at least here in the Pacific Northwest, the rain has definitely arrived and the summer temperatures are far gone. Um, So let's jump into what to do. All right. As we always start, first thing on the list is to keep harvesting what you've got. Your tomatoes, and I always bring up tomatoes, I don't know, I think it's just such a popular summer crop, but your tomatoes are probably starting to slow down on the ripening journey, of course, as always, depending on where you're at. Um, But if you have a bunch of green ones that you're freaking out thinking they're not going to ripen before the year is over, if you don't know this yet, then one trick that you can do is to either pick those green tomatoes and then store them inside to ripen on their own. Or you can pull the whole plant out, and this is one time that I deviate from just cutting uh, plants off at the soil surface. You can pull the whole plant out of the ground and then hang it upside down in a dry, cool area to ripen. And the thought being of leaving the tomatoes on the plant is that the fruits continue to get some food and energy from the roots uh, to help with that ripening process. I haven't tested the two methods side by side taking off just the tomatoes or taking out the whole plant to know, you know, is one sweeter or more flavorful or faster or more reliable. Uh, So I can't argue for one method over the other. But point being, don't feel like you have to get rid of your green tomatoes, even though the weather is starting to turn. Uh, There are other ways to ripen them. You can also, and this is a method, I haven't done this because I've never needed to, but you can also take your green tomatoes and wrap them in something like tissue paper or craft paper and tuck them into something like a, a, um, like a flat, shallow cardboard box or even like a wooden crate to ripen that way. And the thought is by tucking them into tissue paper, you're preventing the tomatoes from touching each other and spreading bacteria from one tomato to the other so that there's less likelihood of them rotting. So several different options for what to do with your green tomatoes because those babies are still precious gold and you don't want to get rid of them when they still have a chance to ripen just in a different way than on the vine. You probably have pulled out a lot of your summer crops like your zucchinis that have probably succumbed to powdery mildew by now. I know my green beans are gone because they were getting really tough uh, and just not very productive anymore. If you had summer greens, depending on what you're going to do with them, you might want to overwinter them so that you can continue harvesting on them. And then actually next spring, they're going to flower and make seeds. If you want to try saving seeds off of those, a lot of greens like kale 
are biennials, meaning they do their growing the first year and then their productive phase of flowers and seeds the next year. So that's another option. Um, And then anything like a root crop, if it's still growing, still maturing, leave those in the ground. They'll be totally fine. Uh, You can even plant more still to overwinter as part of your fall garden. But if you have anything immature, even if it's something I haven't just mentioned, give it a shot, leave it in and see what happens. Maybe it'll ripen for you. Maybe it'll overwinter. I've been surprised before when I've left behind um, nasturtium, for example, that managed to survive the whole winter. And granted, this was in California where it doesn't get as cold as up here and certainly nothing like an extended freeze, but you never know. And if you've got the space, then why not? And as I mentioned a few episodes ago, leaving flowers in particular behind is always awesome for the birds that will come by and eat the seed heads. uh, If you have the space and you don't mind having a less than tidy garden over the wintertime. So mulching, always got to come back to mulching. Mulching is one of my big, big tasks for October because again, in the Pacific Northwest, it's going to be super duper rainy over the winter. And it's already started this week. It's quite depressing because I'm not used to it. Um, And mulching will cover any bare soil that you have left behind, either because you had an empty space from the summer or you're taking out your ending crops now, whatever the reason. Mulching the soil with whatever you have available is highly, highly beneficial for your garden. And you can use wood chips, leaves, unfinished compost, grass clippings, if your lawn has come back to life. I did an episode, it was episode number 12, about some of my favorite mulches to use, and most of them are free to get. So if you need some ideas, jump back to that episode. And so mulching will prevent soil erosion from the rain. It'll prevent weeds from sprouting either now in the fall or in the spring. And it will start slowly decomposing on the surface to help build up your soil's organic matter. And one cool little video trend I've seen floating around Instagram lately is a comparison of different soils side by side. It's like a half of an empty, clear two liter bottle. And one bottle just has bare dirt in it. The second one has some kind of straggly grass in it. And then the third bottle has, I think it was like native prairie grasses or something like that. And the person doing the video pours water in each of the three bottles. And there's the, the, the open spout from the bottle. And so the bare soil leaches out all this water, all this soil, because there's nothing to hold the dirt in there. And then the grass mostly just leaches out the water, not so much dirt. And then, of course, the last one that's fully planted out, you only see water coming out of the spout of the bottle, meaning that the plant roots are holding in the dirt and preventing it from eroding away. And I thought it was just a really cool demonstration of one of the things I've been talking about of why you want to mulch and cover your soil, Uh, especially if you live in a rainy climate like I do. You Just having bare dirt is just like blowing your beautiful garden soil away. You want to keep it in the garden where it's going to do the most good, not not uh, running out into your garden paths um, or anything like that. So hang on to it, throw some mulch on there. It doesn't cost anything and it will do your garden overall good. Next up for your October garden is, speaking of mulch, save any leaves that are starting to fall from your trees. They are awesome for many different things in the garden, specifically here for mulch and also for compost. Leaf mold 
is the word to describe leaves that are about halfway broken down. And I don't know why they got this specific name, but they did. And I always say leaf mold is gold because it is a free, easy, hands-off way to get new organic material to put into your garden. And a really nice way to kind of jumpstart that process, and again, I mentioned this in episode 12 where I talk about mulch, is to shred the leaves before you either put them on the garden or in your compost bin or in uh, lawn, like leaf litter bags to save for later. And you can shred them by running them over with your lawn mower and then catching the leaves in the collection bag and then dumping that into whatever you're going to use the leaves for, whether it's saving them or using them right now. Or I haven't done this method because it seems like extra work. You can rake them up, dump them in something like a metal uh, garbage bin, like a big, uh, oops, I almost cussed, <laughs> like a big trash can um, and uh, and use your weed whacker to um, to shred them. Sorry, totally distracted. I'm not going to edit this out because this is a little taste of who I am and how I talk <laughs> normally when I'm not on the air, trying not to get the explicit tag from Apple podcast. Anyways, shred the leaves. It helps them break down a lot faster and it will prevent them from clumping together and forming a barrier on your garden bed that the water can have a hard time getting through. Just think of like your gutters, you know, when they get all junked up with um, leaves and you have to clean them out. It's the same thing. If you put them on your garden bed, then it can prevent the water from getting through. So chopping them up is definitely beneficial. Start your compost. That is the next item on our October list. And I've mentioned before, I do a very, very hands-off compost because I am not a meticulous composter. I don't watch my pile. I don't temp it. I don't honestly even regulate the moisture on it. I dump it all in a pile and I walk away and I come check on it many, many months later uh, because it will break down eventually. Think of any forest floor, any area of grass under a fruit tree where things just drop to the ground and they do their own thing. Even though it's not being monitored, it still breaks down. It still decomposes, maybe a little bit messier than it otherwise would, but it'll get there. And this is really the best. It It's best to use this method, I should say, when you don't have a time frame. If you are trying to get fresh compost for next season and you need it done in a certain amount of time, then this isn't the best method because it's very slow. It's slow, cold composting. If you want finished compost for spring, then you're better off doing some sort of hot composting in which you need certain ratios of dried materials and green materials. Brown and green is how they call them. Um, nitrogen and carbon. Basically, you want a ratio of that. And then you have to turn it. You have to monitor the moisture, the temperature, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I can link resources for that. I'm not going to go into super depth um, on this show because A, I'm not an expert and B, it's not what the the episode's about. But just be aware there are two types of compost. I like cold compost. Dump everything you've got, garden waste, leaves, grass clippings, whatever, into a pile and walk away from it. If you have chickens, let them have access to it. They will eat some of the worms and whatnot, but they will also 
do a great job of turning it for you and picking out any potential bad bugs um, or eating seeds that might then sprout and become a nuisance in your garden when you eventually put this compost on your garden bed. So letting your chickens have access to it or your ducks, whatever kind of birds you have, um, is a great way to borrow their labor to get them to compost the pile for you a little bit faster. And in the case of chickens and ducks and whatnot, they're going to poop on it and fertilize it even more. And that will speed up the decomposition because of all that bacteria being introduced into the pile. Okay, so turning from dead things to live things, let's talk about planting bulbs. October is a great month for planting fall bulbs that will then bloom in the spring. We're talking about the typical ones like tulips, daffodils, crocus, snowdrops, grape hyacinth. Um, All of these need a long period of cool, dark conditions in order to set out very strong roots that will then support the growth in the spring where you see the green stalk and leaves and whatnot, and then they will eventually bloom. Um, We talked about this a little bit last episode of forcing bulbs indoors, and it's the same concept of just letting the weather do it for you in this case. And if you have a problem with rodents, like I do, we have voles and moles and surprisingly weasels in our area, um, then daffodils are very resistant to rodent and pest pressure. And they also naturalize, which means that from year to year, they're going to spread and multiply on their own. So if you plant, say, 10 daffodil the first year, then that might um, naturalize to maybe 12, 15 the next year and on and on as the years go on. And so you don't have to invest in a new batch of bulbs every single fall, which is kind of cool. Another flower that I personally am planting this fall is ranunculus, which might be a new flower to some of you. I've often seen them sold in nurseries in the springtime, but they actually come as what is called a corm, C-O-R-M. And it looks like this little octopus that is very small for how large of a plant it produces. And you plant them in the fall and they in warm enough climate. Sorry, I should put that in there. In zones, I believe it's seven and above, you can fall plant ranunculus. If you are colder than that, then you want to wait until the spring. But ranunculus are cool because they bloom for a very long period in the springtime, up to about six weeks. And then they start to stop production and die back once it starts to warm up for the season. They make excellent cut flowers. They're super popular for Mother's Day and the spring season. Um, And they are called the spring rose because they have a very layered appearance that looks a lot like a rose uh, that bloom obviously months before the actual rose does. So if you're looking for something new and pretty to grow this fall to enjoy early next spring, then give ranunculus a try. Um, And uh, I will definitely report back because this is the first time I'm growing them uh, because we lived in warmer climates for so long and just never got around to it. But I have 150 corms waiting to go in the ground uh, at our property this fall, and I am super excited about them. All right, going back to a couple of chores. One thing that if this is your first rodeo of cleaning up in the fall, don't forget to drain your hoses if you live in an area that freezes. 
And this might be common knowledge for some people. It might be new knowledge for someone who has just moved to a colder climate. But the reason you want to drain the hose is because if you leave a hose full of water over the winter, then that water will freeze and expand and it will crack your hoses so that you have to replace them in the springtime. And that is a pain and an expense that is totally avoidable. So just disconnect your hoses, drain the water out of them, store them away for the winter and bring them back out in the spring. You can also spend some time building new garden beds. Fall is my favorite time to build garden beds. It doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes we've moved in the winter where I have to build them in the spring. But building new garden beds is a very similar to the compost. It's a more hands-off way of getting your garden going, where instead of needing to buy, say, finished compost or potting soil, you can build a garden bed from scratch and then it just slow compost in place. And this is what we have done in our new property because, as I've mentioned before, we started totally fresh. Like there were there were no gardens here when we moved in in June. So we've built a bunch of raised beds. We put down landscape cloth, which is not really a cloth. It's a very fine mesh with half inch holes in it to protect the plant roots from those voles and gophers and whatnot that I mentioned earlier. And then we put leaves, uh, food scraps, some branches that we've had around the property. We put those in the bottom of the bed. And I should mention these beds are about 15 inches tall. And then on top of the branches and the leaves and whatnot, we put hot compost. So it's compost that is too hot to plant directly into because it's not finished breaking down. And then on the top half of the bed, we put a potting soil or a raised bed mix. So that way I can plant some shallow rooted things like the lettuce and the radish and whatnot that I'm going to be harvesting this fall. And then the bottom of the bed is just going to be breaking down over the winter so that come springtime, it'll be ready to plant. I can put in deep rooted plants like peas or tomatoes or peppers without concern of the plant roots getting burned because the soil is too hot. And I'll put it in parentheses here by burned. What that means is just that the soil has too much nitrogen uh, that can affect your plant's growth. It might sound like a little bit of a oxymoron because we know that plants need nitrogen to grow, but a soil can have too much nitrogen in it or be too fresh, kind of like when I was talking about the compost earlier, to where it's actually detrimental to the growth. So long story short, I'm keeping the still decomposing material on the bottom of the bed and the ready to plant material on the top of the bed so that I can still use the garden bed throughout the winter. I hope that makes sense. But as always, if it doesn't, let me know. My email address is always in the show notes. Next thing for getting out of the garden is to work on your journal. And I've mentioned this before, keeping records and notes of your garden season is super valuable. And it's something that takes a while to get in the habit of. It's very easy to just get in the flow of the garden season, getting busy, your harvest, you know, everything, and never actually writing down when did you plant something? When did it start producing? Did it have a disease? Did it attract all these pests? Did it grow well or poorly next to another plant? All kinds of things that you could record. Even, you know, where did you buy compost from or what seed source did you use that you liked or didn't like? 
all of these things that you think you're going to remember, and I promise you, you will not. And I am no exception to this. There are many seeds that I started this year since we moved where, did I write down when? No, I did not. Am I wondering when I did it? Yes, I am. And I wish I had. And one little cheater method that I use is I often take pictures of my seed sowings and seedlings and whatnot to use for Instagram or to share with my email list, things like that. So I can go back and kind of date things that way. Would it be easier if I just did it in the first place? Again, yes, it would. So a little tip from many years of experience, write down those dates. If you don't want to write it in a garden journal, then just take out your phone in your notes app and, you know, put the day's date of whatever it is you're doing and write sowed beets, broccoli, and peas or whatever. Uh, So that way you can eventually go back to it and remember, oh yeah, I sowed those the first week of September, not the third week or first week of October or whatever it is you're thinking about. So that way it can inform you from year to year and help you improve from year to year. If you need a planner, I have one. It's a digital download. I'll put that in the show notes too. Uh, And it has all kinds of um, charts for you to record your planting dates, your seed sowing dates, your harvest dates, pest pest pressure that you're noticing, all that good stuff. Check it out. It's there. Um, and uh, Or use your phone app. It's free. It's easy. Just take some notes. You'll appreciate it later. And then finally, for your garden in October is think of ways to bring the garden indoors like we talked about last week. So I covered briefly some different ways to keep growing, even though your weather is starting to slide into winter, your days are getting shorter, your temperatures are getting colder. You can try microgreens. They're so easy to grow. They're so tasty, super nutritious. I love them and my kids love them. They love to help sow them because it's such a an instant gratification because the whole process takes a week, two weeks, you know, as opposed to months in the garden for a fully matured plant. You can do sprouts, which are even faster. You can get a little garden set up like an arrow garden and grow indoors. That way you can get a pot of basil and leave it on your sunniest window. There's all kinds of ways. And yes, it's not going to supply your full food source for the winter, but even just that little bit of fresh food, a fresh flavor of bringing the inside, or excuse me, bringing the outside inside on the cold gray days, for me anyways, it makes a big difference. And it always encourages me to try to grow more and more as the years go on. So we've already been talking about setting up a little indoor setup here in the house with grow lights to keep as much food inside throughout the winter as we can. We meaning me and my husband. We'll see how far we get. And if we do, then I will definitely share that with you guys. So that is it for today. Wrapping up the episode, I hope your October garden is still producing for you. I hope that you have gotten your last sowing of winter crops in. Lettuce, spinach, other greens, radish, carrots, those are all still things that you can still put in. It's probably too late for kale and brassicas unless you can find some seedlings. And don't forget about winter sowing um, and fall sowing flowers that are cold hardy. Calendula, Bells of Ireland, Nigella, I'm even doing some hollyhock. All of these can be sown now to overwinter and then bloom for you early in the spring uh, next year. And I believe I mentioned this in another episode, the 
seed starting tips for your fall garden. So again, jump back, listen to that one if this is something you're interested in, or check out the book Cool Flowers by Lisa Mason Ziegler. She is a very well-known flower farmer who does all kinds of overwintering of flowers. I'll leave that book in the show notes too. And if you are loving the show, please leave a review. It helps other people find the show give it a chance and hopefully learn how to start their own garden and get the tips that they need to be super successful in growing whatever strikes their fancy. And it helps me know that I am giving you guys the information that you need and enjoy. So a review is always awesome. Just go to Apple Podcasts, scroll on down, leave a rating. You can fill out the little box that says leave a review and I would be very appreciative. So in the meantime, get out there to your garden, eke out the tiniest last little bit of the season that you can, and I will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.